them like they do in Texas, please. Fold them, let them hit me, raise it, baby, stay with me. I love it. Love game, intuition, play the cards with spades to start. And after he's been hooked, I'll play the one that's on his heart. Hello there. My name is Tom Chick, and you are listening to the Quarter to Three podcast, where today we have a very special guest, uh, a fella who may or may not be responsible for you wasting a lot of time recently. Uh, (laughs) Justin Gary, you are the founder of Gary Games, who most of us know as the folks responsible for Ascension. Uh, Now, how old is Ascension at this point? Uh, we released it uh, at the end of August in 2010, so we're looking at 20 months, 19 months, something like that. Okay, so it's well on its way to its terrible twos. That's right, that's right. <laughs> uh, now, Justin, you, uh, real quick to talk a bit about your background, uh, I understand you were a pro like Magic the Gathering player, is that correct? It is true, it is true. I, uh, I started off uh, playing in 97, uh, I was the U.S. National Champion that year. Uh, I won uh, Pro Tour Houston, did uh, World Team Championships, Grand Prix, took some time off after college to do nothing but play Magic, which was quite a bit of fun, um, and then uh, decided to get serious, and I went to law school for a year and then decided I didn't want to be serious anymore. I decided <laughs> to make games instead. Uh, now, how does... Uh how when you were playing magic is is this idea is this idea of creating your own game been in the back of your head all along is it something that happened fairly late uh, how do you go from being a player to a designer well i uh, i really had not considered being a game designer for uh most of uh most of my life however i did always design games just for fun um, it was just something I kind of did from when I was a little kid playing with toys and setting up rules for them till in college making up you know rules for games we'd play at my fraternity or whatever. Um, that uh, so it was something that was kind of always in the background, um, but I didn't really take it seriously until, um, as I mentioned, I was in law school um, at NYU, and then I got an offer to do an internship over the summer at Upper Deck, um, where they needed me to help with the, developing the Versus System trading card game. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they contacted me because of my background in magic. Um, and so a summer in San Diego playing games as opposed to, you know, in New York at a law firm working, you know, interning at a law firm seemed like a lot more fun to me. So I did that. And then I loved it. You know, was just happier than I had been in, uh, you know, in a long time. And they wanted to keep me and I wanted to stay. And that was kind of uh, the start of my game design career. Now, as a player, were you one of those guys who was strictly into magic or did you cast a wider net and play a lot of different CCGs? Uh, well, I played all kinds of games. I mean, I, you know, I grew up playing, you know, Talisman and Dungeons and Dragons and, you know, tons of different board games, uh, El Grande and, you know, Puerto Rico and all kinds of goodies. Um, uh, as far as other TCGs, um, you know, I mean, I played a variety of them to sort of sample them, um, but I never really got into them. I mean, Magic kind of hooked me uh, pretty hard and took away most of my mental uh, space. Uh, You know, obviously when I was working on Versus System or working on the World of Warcraft trading card game, you know, clearly I played those uh, quite a bit because it was part of my job. But for the most part, uh, you know, that's one of the things with trading card games, you know, they tend to take up all of the sort of time, attention, and money that you're, uh, you know, that you have available. Um, it's actually one of the inspirations behind uh, Ascension uh, was to sort of try to make that the fun of a TCG in a bite-sized experience that won't eat up all of your money and time. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, speaking specifically about Ascension, obviously it owes a debt to uh, 
uh, Dominions, uh, which kind of set the stage for this transition from CCGs to the deck-building games that we see now. Um, mm-hmm. But what strikes me about Dominions, and I'm sure you felt the same way about this, uh, Dominions and a lot of the deck-building games before Ascension, uh, is how they felt kind of more like solitaire games that were focused on that great sort of drafting, deck-building aspect of Magic. But with Magic, once you've built the deck, that's where the game would take off. With Dominions in that previous model, that's kind of where the game ends, and you count your victory points, and, and it's over. Uh, right. it, it seems to me that uh, Ascension, the, the kind of shift that that brought about, was forcing players to compete with the same resources, which are both the cards in the center row and the, the pool of victory points, which is also your, your game clock, uh, in a way. Uh, right. How did you come to those variations on the formula? What inspired those? Yeah, well, so I mean, uh, as as Porsche mentioned, I mean, Dominion was a was a big inspiration to start off the the idea of a bite size, uh, you know, card deck building experience um, was I thought just you know brilliant uh, innovation. But um, you know, when I played, I, I started playing a ton of it, and I very quickly got to a point where the games felt kind of stale to me. I once I saw a layout of the board, I knew what was going to happen pretty much. I knew what my strategy was going to be from turn one, and then it was just sort of waiting to see what happened. Uh, and so I pulled an inspiration from one of my favorite ways to play Magic, which is uh, drafting. Mm-hmm. Um, that rather than, and then, you know, the key to drafting is that you have, you know, limited resources, that the things that your uh, the players next to you are interested in have a big impact over what is available to you and how you can interact. Um, and so really it was just trying to take that component and add more variability overall to the gameplay um, to really, that was sort of the core inspiration for Ascension. And that's where the sort of center row and the fact that every card is sort of always changing. And and then, you know, I just sort of tried to clean out my general game design instincts is, you know, find out what's the most fun thing and then get rid of everything else. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, we got rid of all the kinds of restrictions and things that I felt slowed down Dominion. There's no limits on the number of actions you can take, the number of cards you can buy, and, you know, the, the, the game sort of has a more dynamic flow to it um, that's going to be based on the players and the cards, and each game is going to be different. And the valuations of your cards change, right? I mean, the valuations of cards in, in Dominion can change um, based on what's laid out, but once the game starts, you pretty much know how things are going to go. Um, and so with Ascension, a card that comes up on turn one has a very different value than a card that comes up on turn 10. Uh, right. So there's a, there's a lot more discovery processes, a lot more, um, you know, I believe, overall excitement to, to play. And also, I realized that with my, you know, my friends, we actually ended up playing a lot less Dominion overall because it took so long to set it up and deal with everything. I mean, in the time that it takes to set up a game of Dominion, you can already set up, finish, and, you know, reset the first game of Ascension. Uh, so that was a big thing for me, is that, you know, the whole point of this is that I can make a bite-sized experience um, that's really fun and get you that experience of building a deck and, and having those strategies without, uh, you know, taxing too much of your time and money. Now, one of the things you mentioned about Dominion is seeing the setup, you know, the cards that you're pulling from, and kind of knowing in advance how things are going to go. Ascension feels much more uh, reactive, like there's a there's a strong element, like you mentioned, that center row of cards that can that's different every time you play. So your opening build will be different every time you play. A lot of ascension is, like I say, reacting. Um, now I've probably played I, I don't know 300 games of ascension, and yet I can still lose to someone when I'm first teaching him the game. Right. Uh, so w- what I'm curious about is, do I just suck? Is is the luck, is the is the balance of luck and strategy kind of uh, 
off kilter or maybe leaning a lot towards luck? Or is this an intentional part of the design? The guy who can play 300 times could lose to a guy playing for his first time. Uh, well, I don't know how good you are, so I'm gonna I'm gonna <laughs> not uh, make judgments there. Uh, Thank you. But no, it, it is intentional. I mean, just like in in Magic or poker, which are you know hugely successful, very strategic games. In any given game, you can get you know a man screwed in the game of Magic. You can get a bad hand in the game of poker, and you can lose. And that's part of the what makes those games a worldwide appeal. Um, you know, if I play a game of chess against you and one of us is way better than the other, that's going to stop being fun very, very fast. Um, and so there is intentionally an element of randomness in there. Now, the better skilled player in a series of 10 games is going to win, you know, 7 out of 10, 8 out of 10 of those games. But the the fact that you can still win on your first time is a really big is a really big advantage. It makes the game much more accessible to people. It makes the games much more fun. It makes it feel like when you know one of the one of the great things about Ascension is it's been very accessible to non gamers and significant others of gamers who don't usually play a lot of these games, but they can access Ascension because first of all, there's it's you know the rules are designed to be very simple for you to get into. The strategy is there, and there are deeper layers of it, but it's not the same kind of in your face like when I'm going to play a game and I sort of attack you directly and take out your pieces, um, it can feel really bad. In Ascension, everybody generally can sort of play their strategy and try to build something. You know, some people will win more, much more often than others, but there's it's just a much easier process for people to get into and much more fun for a much wider range of skill levels and players. Well, what is a tournament of Ascension like? I know you guys have held a few tournaments. Uh, that must be, is that something where you can see someone at work doing cool strategies? Does it look like... Uh, just any two random guys playing? What, what's it like seeing a tournament of Ascension? Oh, of course. It was fantastic. I mean, in particular, my favorite was the uh, the God Slayer tournament we held at Gen Con uh, this year, which we actually had to cap on attendance. I believe we had uh, 144 people or something, and then we just didn't have room to have any more. We had to turn people away, um, which was shocking. You know, I've never seen a board game tournament with that, that kind of turnout. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we had top-tier players. I mean, we had Magic Hall of Famer Darwin Castle. We had... Uh, you know, poker, uh, you know, World Series uh, finalist uh, uh, David Williams. We had, you know, huge, really top-tier players playing in this thing um, and, you know, really doing a good job executing different strategies, trying things out. Now, uh, I, Darwin made it to the final table, uh, Dave, knocking Dave out before they made it. Uh, you know, so there's a lot of really dramatic, you know, titans of the, of the card game world uh, battling it out because, you know, there is a lot of skill here. I mean, look, the truth of the matter is this team that made this game, we've got, you know, Three Pro Tour champions, two Hall of Famers, you know, a ton of top-tier card game talents that are part of the design and development team here. There is definitely a huge depth of strategy available in Ascension, and and it keeps that's what keeps us all coming back. It's why it's you know it's one of the most fun games of all the games I work on to to playtest and you know mm-hmm. get ready to go. Um, but you know where there is enough variance in there, there is enough randomness that everybody feels like they have a chance to win. Um, so I'm I'm pretty happy with the balance that we've struck there. Even though you can see tons of really cool, very different strategies. Um, one of the great things now is that uh, with the iOS version of the game, you know, you can play against the the AI and you can pull off some pretty amazing things. I mean, especially with Return of the Fallen expansion that just got released. Um, you know, there are infinite combos and different things you can do that you know would be very. It's possible to pull off against the human opponent too, but uh, you know, against the uh, the dumber AI, uh, it's a easy for people to do some pretty cool and incredible stuff. And I've noticed that some of these infinite loop things, you don't feel that they are, uh, like, things that should be balanced out. You feel that that's sort of a, a legitimate thing where if the cards fall the right way for the right person, that kind of runaway win is legitimate, you feel, right? 
Yeah, and I mean, you know, it's one of the things we wrestled with quite a bit. I mean, obviously, there's nothing, like, less fun than, you know, having to sit and watch your opponent take, you know, 100 turns in a row if they're going to go that way. But in general, once somebody gets this loop going, the game ends, you know, pretty fast. And if you are aware of it as a player, um, you can usually disrupt it, right? You can usually stop it from happening. Um, And it's, uh, we felt like it was cool. It happens rarely enough in and that it's cool enough that it's a possibility that it's worth you know it's a legitimate win it's something that you know we could have taken it out we debated for a very long time actually releasing an eroded version of the tablet of times dawn um that would not allow you to take more than one turn in a row uh, more than two turns in a row rather um but we decided that in the end it was more fun to have that dream of being able to take those infinite turns than it would be to sort of shut that down sure Sure. Uh, now, I want to talk with you a bit about uh, Eric Sabi's artwork. Uh, mm-hmm. If I'm not mistaken, he does not come from uh, a video game or a board gaming background, correct? That is correct. Uh, uh, to, well, I, I'm curious about I think that's one of the things that I really admire about his artwork is it doesn't look like that kind of familiar magic artwork. He doesn't look like he's doing concept art for video games. Uh, it has a very distinct look to it, a very, a very distinct vibe. Uh, and I know that that has thrown some traditional gamers kind of for a loop, and they'll say things like, ah, I don't like the artwork in this game, because it's very different, which I admire. Uh, tell me a bit about your process of working with Eric. Yeah, so this is actually a great story, because, you know, listen, I've been doing, I've been making games a long time. I did, you know, when I worked at Upper Deck, I did, you know, we did huge budget games with all the sort of traditional acts. I mean, you know, I did, I lead designed the Infinite Crisis set for Versus, where we get to work with mm-hmm. Alex Ross, um, and, you know, they, he's just, you know, one of the sort of highest paid, most incredible artists out there. And, you know, we spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on art, worked on the World of Warcraft trading card game, World of Warcraft miniatures game, same kind of thing. Um, and Ascension was the first game that I released as my own company. And, you know, the Ascension was, you know, literally me and my friends, uh, you know, and my putting my money down to say, what can we pull off here? You know, is this, you know, let's, let's see what we can do. Um, and Eric was a friend of mine who I had met. Back when I lived in Boston, now on almost a, geez, is it a decade ago? Nine years ago? Um, and we, you know, just lived down the hall from each other. I saw a bunch of, he did, you know, traditional style art, painting, sculptures, things like that. I actually have a piece that he did for me hanging in my living room because I just loved his work so much. And we just kind of kept in touch over the years. And when I was ready to make Ascension, I said, listen, man, you know, I know I knew he had an interest in fantasy art and had done I'd seen some of his work. If you wanted to be a part of this, help me to create this world. You know, let's do this. And he was excited. And he you know, we just sort of went back and forth. And and it was sort of a really great parallel process because the world of Ascension, the story and the intellectual property behind it was something that I created in part inspired by Eric's art. So I'd seen some pieces that he'd done that were like, oh, this is awesome. I want to you know, use this as a thing. And then I would say, OK, here's the character I'm looking for. And here's the design I'm looking for. And it was this great collaborative process. And we put that together in unbelievably record time. I mean, it was not until January of the year that I wanted to I decided to, uh, to launch Ascension that we just started that process. Mm-hmm. And Eric finished all of the pieces, everything we needed for Ascension inside of three months, um, <laughs> which is crazy. And so when people say, you know, they don't like his art style or whatever, like, on the one hand, yes, it's very different. It's very unique. I think that's a strength. But if you look at what he's been able to do, if you look at uh, Chronicle of the God Slayer and compare the work he did from that to Return of the Fallen and then to Storm of Souls, you can see his style gets better and better and better. Sure. He actually gave him real time. I mean, what he was able to produce in that timeline was unbelievable to me and it really an incredible testament to his skill. 
Um, and then, you know, for people who want to really are into his style of art, take a look at what's come out in Storm of Souls and, and Return of the Fall, and you can see every single set, he gets better and better. And now I'm starting to see the pieces roll in for our upcoming, as yet unannounced, Ascension expansion, and uh, and it's, it's yeah, new bars being set. So it's, it's really been a fantastic process, something that's been very rewarding for all of us. Now, I don't know if this is a, do you have a favorite child kind of question, but <laughs> do you have a, a favorite piece of artwork that he's done, or, or maybe is there a piece that really surprised you, or that you changed your mind on? that maybe you didn't like at first uh well it's uh it is a tough it is a tough call to uh to make uh you know what's my favorite uh, from the first set i think my favorite piece um is probably reactor monk um mm-hmm. because it was so evocative of that faction in that world and was really sort of unlike anything i'd kind of seen before and that one for me really brought home like this sort of mechanic faction the kind of semi-tech, semi-magic kind of interesting world that we were we were trying to build there. Um, so that one was the one that sort of most like struck home to me, and I used it a lot to sort of draw people's attention. Um, and then going forward, I mean, just so many of the new pieces are just so awesome. I mean, the uh, the Cyril, the runic lycanthrope from uh, Storm of Souls is uh, really cool on the sort of werewolf uh, type effect. Uh, mm-hmm. There's uh, there's just there's so many of them I love now. So it's uh, those are, those are the two main ones that sort of jumped out at me when, when you first asked the question, so, so I'll stay with those for now. So one of the things that I love is uh, the game creates this sense of, of narrative. I, I mean, the, the, the mechanics are so clear, and they're there, but as you play and as you're like looking over the cards while your opponent's taking his turn or whatever, I love how little details emerge, either from the flavor text or a lot of times from, from Eric's uh, artwork. Uh, I want to ask you about something in the Storm of Souls expansion. Uh, that I might be totally off base about, but that I'm wondering about. Uh, one of the things that you guys did in Storm of Souls is there's new artwork for the core cards, the Apprentice, the Mystic, the Militia, uh, the Heavy Infantry. Um, the Apprentice is a dude sitting there conjuring a, a rune out of midair, and he's got, I think there's a chicken, and there's a cat, and there's a little girl looking at him. Uh, and then later on, the Mystic is a, is a woman with red hair, uh, and I'm thinking, uh, I have this sense, and I don't know if I just invented this, that the game starts with the apprentice and his daughter sitting there watching him cast spells. And as the game goes on and you fold mystic cards into your deck, that's that little girl on the apprentice card grown up into a mystic. Is that completely random? Is that something you guys ever talked about? Uh, <laughs> That is pretty awesome. I uh, I will be honest and uh, and say that that is not something that I have conceived of. Although I would not be surprised at all if that's where uh, where Eric's uh, inspiration came from. And actually, let me check here. So I'm gonna do a quick little search because we had uh, uh, he's not with us anymore. But uh, Jordy Tate was uh, one of our he was our sort of art director on the on this process, and he wrote very very detailed art descriptions and very very detailed requests. Um, ah. And so I, I would not be surprised if, uh, if he had planned that and that was part of that description. I'd, uh, I, it's been a while, so I haven't checked the, uh, haven't checked it. But uh, there's a lot of little details like that throughout the game that, uh, that are there. Uh, that's not what I remember off the top of my head, so I'm, uh, I'm not going to claim it's there when it's not. But I, I wouldn't be surprised if it was. Well, the fact that you're not claiming that it's not there, I'm going to take that as a tacit approval. <laughs> All right, I'm in. We'll okay, good. Uh, well, I want to talk about some of the uh, the what I feel are kind of subversive mechanics that you introduced with e- with each of the expansions. Um, right. So, first of all, in the Return of the Fallen, uh, 
uh, you add in fate powers, and I think I'd read in an interview that you said fate powers were originally part of the core game, but they were a victim of the streamlining that you wanted and that you later added in. Is, is that correct? Fate powers were originally that is, there? That is correct, yeah. My initial my initial version of the game had uh, had fate powers in it, and, and a lot of the cards, frankly, that were in Return of the Fallen were... Uh, were in my initial file and, and had to get cut um, before uh, before release. Mm-hmm. Uh, another mechanic that is really weird that took me a bit of time to wrap my head around is there are cards in Return of the Fallen that let you uh, take other cards out of the void. The void is no longer a, a one-way trip. Uh, right. and, and with certain cards, it's almost like a little storage pocket. Like I can hide something over there so nobody else can get it until I'm ready for it. Right. Uh, where, where did that mechanic come from? Um, that was uh, that was not in the original game. It was something that you know. Look, obviously, anytime there's a new there's a zone in uh, in a you know for my trading card game design experiences. Anytime there's a zone that you haven't interacted with yet, there's a there's <laughs> fertile ground there for you to go and and you know and interact with that zone and make it make it relevant. Mm-hmm. But primarily, that was driven by the story. I mean, the whole concept of Return of the Fallen was this idea of returning from the dead, and that Samuel, ah. though his avatar was defeated. The, now he was able to return, and that uh, Kythus, the keeper of the dead, was granted him this ability to sort of come back and you know return in his true form to make this final assault on uh, on humanity and on the world of Vigil. So I wanted to have the mechanics reflect some of that flavor by having some you know returning from the graveyard effects or returning from the void rather mm-hmm. uh, as our, our representative of that. So it was a uh, you know a, a combination of a tried and true way to access and make the mechanics uh, you know interesting by having uh, you know something that was previously inaccessible become accessible and a great tie into the uh, to the story arc that we were trying to tell and you also do a little bit of that I feel with uh, each set has a sort of an uber boss a main boss and the main right. boss in uh, return of the fallen is Samael who you can recruit over to your side and then monsters fight for you so you do a little bit of that with this idea of monsters that used to be discarded can now get into your actual deck which also feels really weird and subversive uh and it's also uh rare like do you find um i I, again uh, out of all the games i've played i've maybe seen someone recruit samael i don't know four or five times uh uh how do you feel that that's um Something that you wanted to happen more often? Do you, do you like how rare that is? Um, well, I found that it happens. Uh, I mean, if you said you played, you know, 300 games, it's only happened four or five times. That's probably a little lower than uh, than my experience. But mm-hmm. I do think. Um, I mean, the goal is that it's not something that's going to happen all the time. I mean, you know, defeating the biggest, baddest boss that ever existed that we've been telling a story about fighting for the entire first year of the Ascension universe uh, is is not something that should happen lightly. Uh, you know, if it happened every game, it wouldn't be cool anymore. Um, and, you know, being able to sort of defeat Sam L and, you know, make his minions serve you uh, is a pretty is a pretty badass kind of thing. And so we, we wanted to keep it, uh, you know, make it hard to do. And I like, too, how uh, with certain cards like Samael, when they show up, they can kind of change the direction the game is going. It's like, okay, well, now if I see my the other player going for that, now I either have to beat him there or I have to sort of do an end run around what he's doing. Uh, so I love that dramatic cards like that, when they show up, they are these big flags or these big like bits of territory that you almost fight over or try to work around. Uh, I love how Samael does that. Uh, so in, in Storm of Souls, in the, the latest expansion, which I think just came out last month, right. uh, so there are a couple of new subversive things you're doing there. The events, 
uh, an event can come out. It sits at the top of the playing field, and it has a global effect, and it also kicks these new fanatics into action. Right. Uh, what inspired that? Um, well, that was a uh, another sort of piece of the puzzle that I had, uh, you know, considered uh, prior to, and we d- I had a few cards that, uh, that were like that in some of the early stages of the ascent of ascension design, um, but primarily it's, uh, you know, another exciting way to kind of tell the story, right? The story for Storm of Souls is that after Samuel's been defeated, now the different factions are all sort of warring for dominance. Uh, you know, in a certain sense, everybody united to defeat this common foe. And now, you know, that now that Samuel's gone, now, well, who's going to be determining what the new world order is? And so each of the events is themed towards a different faction of sort of who's becoming dominant now and what that influence is and what the world looks like. Um, so once again, it's something that was sort of driven by, you know, both form and function. You know, we wanted to tell the story and get that flavor that while there's some new looming threat that's, uh, you know, represented by the nemesis and these sort of souls uh, returning from the dead, uh, that there's a, uh, you know, there's this battle going on and that the world is changing. Um, and it's just a cool thing to, you know, to have. You know, we knew people have been asking for a new always available card. Um, from the beginning, really. I mean, everybody, you know, sort of, it's something that really dramatically changes the way the game is played, which is great to do once you start getting into things like set three and set four. But we didn't want to make something that was, you know, the problem with a card that's always available is that, well, it's always available. And that's one of the main things Ascension tried to avoid is to make the games play out the same every time, right? The more cards that you can count on being there all the time, the less fun and variation you're going to get from game to game. So the fanatics are a great way to fix this because they're available all the time, but their function changes depending upon what the current event is, right? The fanatics are these sort of you know lost cultists that don't know what to do. So whichever faction's dominant, that's who they're <laughs> going to worship, and that's what they're going to you know that's the rewards they're going to give. That's how they're going to use their powers. Um, so they uh, it's a great sort of you know hybrid way to kind of make a new always available card that that changes from game to game, which is really one of the core features of Ascension that we want to maintain. Now, uh, another thing that I, I'm still, I've played several games of Storm of the Souls, and this one still kind of eludes me, but explain to me what on earth happened to my beloved mechanic constructs. <laughs> um, well, we, uh, you know, we were trying a different approach. Uh, you know, there's only so many, I mean, you know, in, in both, um, you know, uh, Chronicle of the Godslayer and uh, Return of the Fallen, the mechanic constructs are pretty much all about sort of build up, constantly build up and build the giant machine and keep it going. Uh, and the more you have, the better it is and just keeps growing, you know, turning into a giant monstrosity. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, eventually uh, that, you know, play pattern is not, you know, not the only way we want you to be able to sort of interact with constructs. So Stormer Souls and the, you know, uh, lead designer for Stormer Souls is John Fiorello, who was the lead developer for the previous sets. Um, really, you know, drove this um, was to make it so that look. How about the utilizing constructs in a different way is a more exciting approach. So you have cards that come into play and give you an advantage. Things that you can sacrifice other constructs uh, to get an advantage, and that being able to build those combos um, it still gives you that feeling of building a machine that functions and does cool stuff, yeah. but is not the same uh, the same kind of machine that you were building uh, back in the first two sets. I, and I do have to say, Justin, it's it's very. Uh exciting, uh, I feel, in that I feel that the, the way the constructs used to work is, A, I was getting a really valuable card, and B, I was able to just drop it in front of me and therefore not have to cycle it through my economy, through my deck. Uh, so there was this great double whammy, and it almost felt like a no-brainer, like, I almost felt like I was getting in a rut with the core set, like, always go for those expensive 
constructs, but now I feel they're much more dynamic. It's a tougher choice. Like you're forcing me to make a tougher choice, uh, and I love how exciting that feels with the mechanic constructs. This is a theme that runs through Storm of Souls, and you're going to see as well in the in the follow up expansion, which we'll be announcing uh, very soon, uh, probably in about a month or so. Okay. Um, is that the, you know we're stepping up our game. I mean, the, you know, as, as I talked about when I've done interviews about Chronicle of the Godslayer, my goal was to make that game as simple as possible to make it accessible to as many people as possible with that core mechanic and that fun that comes from, from building a deck and, and having that variation. Each successive set, we've added more complexity, we've added more depth, we've added more decision-making, and, and Storm of Souls is really a big peak for that. So, so the players out there that felt like Ascension didn't have enough meat for them uh, back in Chronicle of the Godslayer really should check out Storm of Souls because that's, really, you know, that's where we get a lot of the meat. The decision-making is, there's a lot more going on. We didn't talk about the trophy mechanic, which is a mechanic for the monster players that mm-hmm. instead of just getting the reward right away, when you defeat a trophy monster, you put it in front of you, and then you choose when you want to banish it to get the effect. And so this gives you a lot more decision-making. It makes the monster-hunting player um, have a lot more interesting decisions as they play throughout the game. All so, right. It's kind of like a... a, a a reverting, the, it's kind of changing the system just like you change the mechana system. Uh, there's also that same change applied to the monster system. I didn't even think of that that way. Yeah, so so we really, I mean, if you look, you know, a lot of players, um, you know, especially the more like core hobby gamers, really love Storm of Souls, and some of them love it more than than the previous sets. Uh, and so it's it's something where it's we get to play a little bit more as designers um, now that you know we have a large audience and people who have been playing Ascension for you know a year or eighteen months. Uh, they can, you know, they can handle a lot more of these interesting things, and we're continuing on that process with the with the next set. Mm-hmm. Now, before I, I ask you uh, in closing about what's next, I want to throw one complaint at you. Okay. And just, just see how you receive this complaint. You ready? All right, hit me. Why on earth is the fettered soul the exact same card as the Mephit? Yeah. <laughs> fair, fair. Is that is now is that just like a nerdy nitpicky kind of like I don't mind because it feels no, no, like a, di- no, a different it's not, set. It's not, I mean, and it, it was something we debated internally. It's it's one of those things where making exact copies of previous cards is uh, you know you can be accused of being a lazy designer. Uh, but it actually took a very long time to get back to that same initial design because the truth is you know just like in a magic set. Every set, you're going to have some lightning bolt variation. Every set, you're going to have some vanilla creatures that you need, some amount of you know different types of effects that you have to have to make the game function well. And the truth of the matter is we needed a small monster that allowed you to banish. Um, and we tried a, a ton of different variations and felt like none of them worked as well as, as the original uh, as the original approach that we had from Method. And, and we just felt like we needed that since... Remember, a Storm of Souls is intended to be played by itself right. as sort of standalone. That that functionality just was the game was better off for having it. Uh, and then we talked about just reprinting Method, but we felt like it would be way cooler. You know that that we wanted something that really fit more with the story, and that you know the sort of Souls is this sort of new threat and looming thing. So so we designed it that way, and uh, you know it's a uh, it, it's a fair question to ask, but I think that the in the end the sort of better gameplay overall uh, won out over being you know different for different sake. Totally fair. I'm, I'm down with that. Uh, so going forward, uh, uh, story, you, you mentioned in a, a few months or a month or so, you'll be uh, announcing the next expansion. I'm looking forward to that. Uh, are there plans to add Storm of Souls to the uh, iPhone and iPad version? Of course. Okay. Um, and not only are we planning to add Storm of Souls, but we're also planning to add some of our promos. Um, you know, a lot of people ah, love our promo program. We do this via game days. Um, you know, we basically give away promos for free at local stores so people can come in and play, meet other players, and really get a chance to support the local communities. 
Um, and then, uh, you know, and then we make them available on our website a few months later. Um, but now, you know, everybody that's playing on the iOS doesn't have a chance for that. So, so we're hoping to get some of the promos out there. Um, we have a great, a new promo coming out this month. I'm not sure if you saw our, uh, the Ascension proposal, uh, story, uh, that we, uh, we released recently. Oh, the uh, Ring of Gird card. Will yes. Have to be, yes. Nice. <laughs> so we made, uh, that was a really cool thing to be able to do and, and, you know, help somebody, uh, you know, propose to his, uh, his now fiance and, uh, and then we made an, another version of it uh, to be able to give out to players conveniently in the month of February for uh, Valentine's Day. Uh, and so, uh, you know, everybody can kind of participate in that. So that's just a really fun thing to do. And, you know, we've got a lot of, like, fan-based kinds of cards that we're working on. Of course, the, the God Slayer, the uh, person who won our, our God Slayer tournament over the uh, uh, at Gen Con last year is going to have a card uh, made after him, uh, and that is going to appear in the next set. Um, and so, you know, it's just one of the fun things we get to do because, you know, we're gamers and we made this ourselves so we can do whatever we want. So we make a lot of cool stuff that, you know, makes people happy and uh, gets people involved in what we're doing. So now, now, the folks who did the iPhone version are called Incinerator Games, and they've done a fantastic job, I have to say. Uh, one of the things that uh, that some of us wonder about is there's an additional there's room for an additional notch for the AI. Is that something that's still in the works, or uh, do, do you know if there's any plans to fill that last notch in? It is still in the works. Um, there are plans to do it. Um, the timetable, we have so many different features and things we're trying to add in, uh, and it is one of the things on the list. Uh, I can't really predict to you exactly when it's going to come. I mean, we had that in testing, um, and you know, so there was a, a more advanced AI, but it just ran way too slowly and wasn't, sure. wasn't working quite right. So it's you know, our philosophy on this is while we would love to get every feature out and every game out super fast, um, it's way worse to put something out that's not good. Um, so we, you know, release things when when we're happy with them, and that's true with the physical game. That's true with the iOS. Um, it's just not worth it to put out, you know, subpar product. Uh, do you ever talk at all about releasing it for additional platforms like uh, the PC or Xbox Live Arcade? Is that has that been a, a conversation? Yes. Um, the first target we're looking at is Android. Um, that's the one we've been. That's the one we're hoping to get out this year. Ideally, you know, my third quarter this year. Um, because that's the one we get most requested, and uh, you know a lot of people have Android phones. Not everybody has an iPhone, and uh, and they really want to be able to play Ascension. Uh, after that, um, PC, Xbox Live, all that stuff is on the list, but I wouldn't expect it in 2012. Sure. Uh, and finally, for the tabletop version, uh, I understand there is a reprint on the way, so that the the old card stock is the same as the new card stock. Uh, are will there be any mechanical changes? For instance, the dynamic that I think the runic lycanthrop has in the original core set is now called Unite in Storm of Souls. Will any of those changes to gameplay mechanics uh, apply to the reprinted core set? Um, yeah, we made we did make minor changes. Um, we we changed the templating to match up with our templating, our modern templating, um, and we've we've kind of built things out for. Uh, you know, basically minor non-functional changes, just uh, templating changes, um, and then uh, and I think Runic Lycanthrope is actually the only uh, functional change we make. I, we debated about that whether or not to make that a Unite card or not, because everything else we changed was just sort of cleaning up templating and and, and wording. That's actually a minor functional change, um, uh, but we've done it to kind of make everything be uh, be clean and be sure. easier to access and. Uh, and is there a timetable for when the reprint will be available? Do you know? Um, yeah, this week. Uh, oh, awesome. <laughs> yeah, we actually have it in uh, It is in uh, the United States now. It is working its way through the distribution system. We should have an announcement up on our website uh, within a week. 
Uh, and so this is something people can actually uh, start start getting access to. It'll be marked on the box at second edition, uh, so people will know if they want to, you know, get one that has all the card stocks matched. They'll know which one they're buying. Um, and uh, you know, it's exciting. I mean, this is really our uh, being able to kind of reprint this game and now have everything be synced up and you know at the higher quality card stock and have the templating all be the same and be you know we're trying to build this game for something that's going to be played for years and years and years to come. So. Uh, it's uh, it's pretty cool, and you know we're still growing, and uh, and and happy to see uh, see what the next stages are. Great news, great news. And finally, I promise, last of all, uh, one of the things you've talked about previously, and something that a guy like me who owns all three sets is looking forward to, uh, is this uh, idea of you guys could suggest new decks. Like, I don't really trust myself to pick out certain cards to make a new deck. Uh, and at, at this point, with all three sets, I don't think I want to shuffle them all together. Yeah. Uh, but you have hinted at this idea that, that people who really know the cards well might suggest decks. Uh is there any idea, now that we've got a reprint on the way and the cards will fit together better, any idea when we can expect some suggestions for uh, tailor-made decks? Well, for the most part, we have, uh, we've taken the philosophy that we're hope- we want fans to be able to make these deck lists first, um, mm-hmm. not have us do. I mean, we build decks for you. That's what we do when we every time we release a set. Um, and, you know, the initial vision of this is that every... You know, two sets will sort of be designed to be combined together, right? So there's Ascent, the Chronicle of the God Slayer and Return of the Fallen are two sets that, you know, play very well together and are sort of intended to be one whole. Storm of Souls and the follow-up expansion, same thing, where they'll be ah. sort of playable and shuffled together to kind of pr- provide one whole. Now, obviously, you can shuffle every card we ever make together. They're all totally compatible. But like you said, you know, that sort of gets pretty cumbersome. Uh, and so the the recommendation that we have is is play... You know, set one with set two, set three with set four, set five with set six, and so on as we as we go forward. Um, that's kind of the the way that we're laying it out, and then we hope that people will. And you actually can see this if you go to uh, Ascension uh, on Facebook. There are fans that are posting their custom lists, or ah, good. AscensionGame.com, and uh, on the forums, people are posting their custom lists. Um, so we're really excited to see everybody, uh, you know, be creative and give them the opportunity to kind of edit their deck lists and, and build that out. Uh, and I feel like if we put an official one out. Uh, it would kind of it would kind of uh, detract from that right now. Uh, I'm not saying that we won't eventually do that uh, and take some of the fan favorites and maybe even put them in a rule book, but uh, but for right now we have our sort of baseline recommendation of big set combined with small set, and they uh, you know give you the freedom to to customize your own favorite center deck. Sure. Well, Justin, uh, I just want to congratulate you with how well Ascension has done. I've just been so thrilled to discover it. Uh, you guys have just done a great job. I'm elated to hear there's another expansion on the way. Uh, so congratulations, and, and thank you very much for talking to me today. Thank you so much. It was my pleasure. I want to hold them like they do in Texas, please. Hold them, let them hit me, raise it, baby, stay with me. I love it. Love game intuition, play the cards with space to start. And after he's been hooked, I'll play the one that's on his heart. 